me just give you guys a uh, gist of who Juliet is. Can I? What should I call you? Um, I think uh, film director and producer. That sounds legit. Okay, <laughs> so we have film director and producer Juliet Riddle with us. Um, just to give a little bit of background, uh, Juliet has been working in the industry for the last 15, 20 years. Has been a uh, commissioner, uh, been producer, been director, won BAFTA for her but series. And it's a lot, guys. It's a lot. But yeah, thank you so much for being here. And yeah, it's now open to you all, guys. Oh, okay. Great. Um... I mean, we're lucky to have someone as a, on our first podcast talking about media. You know, who wouldn't want that? Um, I'm interested to know sort of how you started out, really, Julianne. Um, well, I started out in an old school way of getting a lowly job at ITV. And people that don't know, you know, ITV uh, is a big channel. They actually have an in-house production company and they make programmes for everybody. So they also make programmes for Channel 4, for example. Um, and I got work experience and then I did the whole kind of runner, work my way up thing. I was there on and off for eight years and it was a really perfect place to start because it was a big company. So there was resources for people who were training. So you could do things like camera courses and you had the support of quite a big hierarchy. Oh, wow. So it was kind of interesting because you'd have, you know, producers and senior producers and executive producers that you could learn from. So I felt like it was a really a great learning curve for me there. So runner, can you explain a little bit about what that is? Um, runner, I mean, basically you're the dog's body and, <laughs> and um, I was mainly working in sort of format television. So it was less runner than it was sort of assistant producers getting casting. Was mm. The lowest level was casting for TV docs. And we did lots of big shows um, that were things like holiday homes from hell which sounds kind of trashy but actually was really proper journalism because if you call someone a landlord from hell at nine o'clock on itv in front of eight million people then you really have to stand that story up so actually it was an amazing journalistic training but you know casting for those landlords from hell took months of sort of trolling through local newspapers and okay. going down before it's like basically before the internet yeah. that's how old i am and so it was going down to like big libraries and going through old newspapers to find stories. Wow. Um, so yeah, it's a really great learning curve. Juliet, I'm just curious, did you know you wanted to do like television? Because you, you said it started out at ITV, but was it like, that's what interested you at the point in time? Or did you know like this is what you was going to do? Or it just was a job that came up? I think I was definitely interested. I did lots of creative stuff as a kid and I would, you know, just think it's so fantastic to have opportunities like that. I've got children now, one's at dance school right now, um, the other one's actually doing cricket but does drama. And I grew up doing a lot of kind of dance and drama and that definitely gave me an interest in storytelling and expression and thinking about things from other people's perspectives. And then I did a history degree and a history degree is also what? storytelling. <laughs> It's the same stuff. It's storytelling. It's understanding the world. It's thinking about things. It's reinterpreting lots of information in new ways. You know, reading lots of boring books and then being like, right, I've got to write an essay on it. So how do you condense that? So actually, I think drama and history are the kind of perfect blend for then thinking about making programmes that are telling stories. So yeah, I definitely was interested in, in documentaries at that stage. I think that's like, 
what I have noticed over the period of time is uh, a lot of people talk about, you know, going to a film school or, you know, they're trying to get a degree in, uh, let's say, film production and stuff. How much do you think in terms of value of those degrees for you? For me, I definitely think history was a really um, brilliant way of processing information. So I, you know, I did have the opportunity of learning on the job and being in a big company. So for me, having those kind of more academic skills of of how do you understand a really huge topic? I don't know, the Russian Revolution, it's huge. There's lots of people and lots of things happening and different things at play as to how that might have come about. And actually those processes of sort of critical thinking, I think are really valuable. So I'm I, for, for me, I'm really grateful I did an academic degree like that. Um, and then I could learn more on the job. As, as you say, it's, you're telling the, the story of the past, so it just kind of opened your mind. Mm-hmm. That's so interesting. Things often repeat yeah. themselves. So yeah, yeah, yeah. basis, you see, you know, what shouldn't happen again. Unfortunately, it has every probably 100 years, and then you can hopefully predict what's going to happen next. So. Uh, and I think the best stories come from the society, if I'm not wrong. I mean, uh, history is kind of great learning. How do you see in terms of, do you, do you see the, the stuff that you do now? Do you always relate to what you have, uh, like uh, your experiences, what you have uh, like been doing for the last 20 years? Or maybe you relate that to the, you know, history or something that, you know, you see very intriguing about. What's the thing that inspire you in a story? I think that definitely I've been lucky that at the moment is a really exciting point for me because a lot of things are coming together in my career i'm now making focused on making drama having Mm -hmm. spent my most of my career in documentary but i'm making dramas based on fact and based on journalism and so i'm trying to create a kind of hybrid of of kind of current affairs documentary making and narrative drama which is not you know new lots of people have done this and so many obviously amazing dramas are based on real stories and based on realities but i'm doing it in a quite unique way because i'm trying to turn them around quite fast so i'm trying to be very kind of current and almost ahead of the news Mm. which um is a really exciting process so uh at at the moment i'm definitely using my history skills because i'm a newspaper with lots of sort of academic and intellectual thinkers but I'm using my drama skills from when I was a child and then, you know, all these other documentary skills I've learned along my career. So it's definitely a blend at the moment. It's making the news. Sorry. Yeah. No, I was just going to say that's so interesting to me because like, I know you say a lot of people might be doing that, but I don't know a lot of people like in that, that zone of filmmaking, because as you said, it's documentary with the drama. And, but it's like, when I watch, you may know people, is like holding that mirror up to society because the craziest thing just for example is i was using live view to find here and then i was like they are definitely tracking where i'm going all the time it's like normally you'd think oh that's such a nice tool i i don't know but how did you i don't know but how did you come up with that concept though just like so that yeah you're talking about this film that i made um now a couple of years ago um and it was about the use of our data online and about um, tech companies, how they use our data and the implications for privacy, for justice and for society. And um, 
I try to find subjects that everybody feels a bit concerned about or is thinking about and is affecting us, but we're not articulating very well. So I'm sort of listening to what are those things that we're all a bit nervous about, but we haven't really been able to kind of express ourselves very clearly. So that was definitely one of those subjects and it was actually happened around COVID. So we were having to suddenly download NHS apps and, you know, countries around the world tracking us. And so there was a very clear intersection between public health needs and yeah. us giving away our rights. So it kind of was the perfect storm for the creation of that okay. film. Yeah. And the writer is amazing. And he is like a superstar. He's won squillions of awards. He's, he's a big deal. And he is a genius <laughs> at taking Good. big news subjects. And what's exciting about that process is that we James Graham, the writer, came in to physically into the FT offices and met with all the journalists who were really on the cutting edge of those stories and were able to give him insights into where the news might go. So there's a line in the film that says basically Amazon has taken our health data and who knows what they're going to do with it. And then there was an FT news scoop the week after the drama was published saying this is happening. So actually the fictional piece came before the new story so for me that was like and and that's what i find we is are not promoting amazon yeah, we are yeah. not uh, saying anything about <laughs> amazon these are all <laughs> we are not claiming anything but it's possible you all know yeah. that. that that is super interesting uh, and i can't wait to see what you do on ai exactly Good. Oh, yeah i agree uh, like that is a very interesting topic you know what do you think in terms of ai i know we are going off topic but uh, yeah I, yeah, it's such an interesting subject. I'm basically overwhelmed by it from a, from the perspective as a filmmaker in that it's just moving so fast. It's hard to kind of grab yeah, onto yeah, things, yeah. isn't it? Um, you could have chat GPT write your script. Yes, but you can. Yeah, it's, I don't know. And I'm not sure anybody else does. So that's definitely a subject I'm super keen on. Uh, but if I'm honest, I'm kind of struggling to know what to do in that space. But I just made a film um, about online harm and the internet mm. and young people um, and the fact that there's very, very little regulation protecting children under 18 from what they experience online and their behaviour online. Sure. And um, I'm really proud of that. I'm sort of probably most proud of that out of anything I've done in the mm. last few years. Big area, isn't it? Young people, mental health, media. Um, there's going to be such a, I think, a drive. I mean, I, I'm based in mental health. Um, I used to be a CWP, wellbeing practitioner, and yeah, even in um, even in schools, education, they're trying their best to try to sort of bring people's understanding and sort of understanding where the where the boundaries should be in social media, mental health, without limiting freedom, but. Yeah, exactly. I don't know how that's gonna, how the media is gonna take, you know, tackle that. Yeah, yeah they're going and talking. If this is a media podcast, this, you know, we're entering a space that's just really unknown. Um, and so the best thing I think children can have is the tools to understand what the motives of the companies are and how the companies operate because they need to have some resilience to sort of fight back from their influence. Yeah. But do you think like, um, as a filmmaker, do you think uh, ever got like, you know, these cancellation or these, you know, oh, you can't do this, you know, or maybe you're trying to achieve something, but then they were like, oh, no, uh, 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 
like related covid you can't talk about this thing have i ever been sort of yeah had obstacles yeah well most of the time as a filmmaker is you will all know or anybody else will know is just getting your film funded isn't it and being you know your biggest obstacle is how you're going to make it um so i am very lucky because i have a very unusual job working for a newspaper Mm. and i have a staff job um and that is a huge freedom and you know i wish everybody could have a staff job um because freelancing is so hard and most of my career was freelancing and um give us jobs <laughs> yeah having an actual job is you know is unique and so valuable i mean to a certain extent it's limiting and i am trying to create stories that fit right for the financial times and that's going to limit the sorts of stories i do mm. for me that is an a negative limit. I actually really like the limitations that I have. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I don't see them as limitations. They are great opportunities. But um, yeah, it's a. I'm in a unique, quite unusual place for a filmmaker to be based in a newspaper and to have a staff job. There, yeah. it's unusual. I find that so interesting, though. Like for me, I think because it get you get to borrow that stability almost, and then people will meet with you. Just saying, like you know, you could use that network, and then you also. I think what you're doing is genius. To me, it feels like your vehicle is almost being a journalist, but oh. you're you're a hidden filmmaker. So it's like, is a is a hybrid that is very interesting. Exactly. I it's, think it's a yeah. Exactly. No, I just want to say it lends itself. A question has got it lends itself to understanding that we could, you know, just have to define yourself in one way. You could kind of use different tools. So um, I just curious to know, like. Would you suggest, and I know it's a kind of stereotypical question, but like for people trying to get into the industry, is that like the road maybe be connected to organization and network and build up? Like, what would you tell somebody who's like trying to get in right now? I mean, I do think that that it is very sensible to try and get a job. <laughs> and it might be a job that doesn't sound that exciting or kind of glamorous, but it is connected and will give you still skills that you need and stability. So it might be working, um, doing, I don't know, in-house social media content for a company that sounds maybe a bit dull, but actually you've still got to make content that's engaging and you've still got to tell stories about, I don't know, a company that makes paper clips, who knows? But you might find some job in there which is making content, but it gives you a salary and it means that you have to churn out a lot of stuff. You have to tr- use equipment that you would be using normally in the industry and might give you some then extra freedom outside of that to keep doing your own thing. So I made loads of short films when I was in my early 20s. I did these film competitions and there's so many of them and they were so fun. You know, these films in a day you can do where we used to do one where you meet in Soho and they gave you five ingredients, you know boil a kettle, tell someone you love them. And then you had to, by the end of the day, kind of show your film to the rest of the club. Stuff like that was great, but I could have, I did that on the Saturday and you could still have a day job. So I I think keeping busy is the best thing you can do. Um, And I also think that I always tell people that sometimes jobs that sound really boring can be the most creative. And sometimes jobs that sound really Mm. creative can actually be like telly sales. Um, So don't, don't, don't be a snob. I made loads of television that people would think was really like not cool. I made 60 minute makeover, you know, like a daytime show that old people watch on ITV. 
I learned so much. There were such big teams. Uh, we had to, you know, film in one day and have to make a half hour program out of it. So my advice would be like, don't, 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 don't have like your one goal that you think is like the perfect film and just strive for that. Think of it as a journey where you're collecting skills along the way. I think, I think that's, that's, that's the biggest problem. <laughs> I love problem. that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> you know, we just, we just want that, you know what, I'm just going to go on. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I need to find the biggest meaning, you know, there's something that, that satisfies all my goals, but really, no, it's not about that, is it? Yeah. You can hold on to that and you can still find that, especially okay. if you're young, yeah. you know, like if you've just, let, I don't know, say you're 21 and you've done a course and you've graduated, you can take five years to like hone your skill, work out what you want to yeah. do, do bits and pieces. Um, enjoy the process. Enjoy the process. So, so what you say really drives you then? At the moment, I am really driven by using narratives to contribute to a better world. I feel like I have, uh, I've become a lot more focused on purpose than I used to be. Before, I was more driven by like the fun of actually making the program. Mm -hmm. And now I'm more driven about what I wanted the impact of the film to be. That's deep. In terms of purpose, you mean I was going to serve the society? Or like yes. the cause? The, the cause, the, how it's going to serve society, yes. I don't know if that's just getting older and having kids. So like the online harm thing, I was so shocked by having my own children and experiencing how vulnerable they are to the harms of their behaviour on their phones and what they see. But mainly their behavior it's so addictive and these are you know 11 year old children that should be talking to their friends and having mates over and mucking about and playing sports but they're literally you know sitting there silently looking and it's the behavior that it's and so suddenly once it's like you look behind the curtain and then you can't pull back the curtain so that's where i am right now i'm kind of focused on trying to bring attention to things that I think are really important. I was, I was just going to say, do you think that, I mean, you pro you've probably been doing it before the pandemic, but I feel like that is what the pandemic did. Make a lot of people think, what do I want to do with my work? Mm. And kind of switch into a more purposeful, driven right. space. It does feel like that, doesn't it? It feels like, and climate change and um, the polarization of politics. And I think there has been such a kind of shock, hasn't there, that we're going in a quite scary direction uh, that maybe quite, you know, other people are thinking about purpose-driven content. I think it's really important not to make content that feels like it's telling you off though. And it's really important not to make content that makes you feel bad about who you are and bad about the world. And it's also negative. So it's, it's a difficult. How do you do, how do you make it almost, you know, how movies can sometimes make the villain understandable or relatable. Yeah. It reminds me a bit like that. Like how do you bring awareness to both sides of the argument in a safe way? I think that's really hard. I'm not sure how well I've achieved it. Uh, at the moment, I am quite sort of cross, I suppose, with the big tech companies in terms of um, 
their lack of responsibility to what's happening. But then again, it is something we all use and it is part of the fabric of society and they're not going to go away and there is good. So I think that's a really good question. Um, I think humour is something I try and use in my content. Um, and I think that holding on to that is really important because um, also I'm working for a newspaper. So it's important that it doesn't feel like it's one-sided, that you do as a viewer and an audience feel that it's very informed. Um, so I'm not sure I've achieved that, but I completely agree that that is really important that we do get a sense that we're hearing a nuanced view because we're so much in a world where things have become polarised. But I think that if I was starting out my career now, I think that's a great thing to hold on to about what your purpose is and what you're using your work for to contribute positively. Um, so, yeah. Sure, for sure. What, what I find was interesting too is, so not to get to, I don't know, but because you have a job as at the Financial Times, does that now allow you to not have to worry about making money from filmmaking? So therefore, it kind of clears the space. Because a lot of, you know, as a filmmaker, yeah, it might end up doing advertising because it's like, that's what's paid and all that. And, you know, so when is that, that it actually might be limited, but it frees you. It does, yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, these questions about lifestyle and um, flexibility in your work are really important. And it's not, it's not an inconsiderable factor that I'm a parent, uh, that I have to provide, you know, for my children financially, but also that I have to be around to talk to them after school or make sure they haven't, you know, forgotten their school books. So, so many women leave this industry because you can't have that flexibility, you can't have routine, you can't predict, you know, when your holidays are going to be in time for the school holidays. So um it is important to me and i think that uh it's just one of the really difficult things about this industry isn't it particularly for parents men and women but yeah it's hard when you've had kids when do you think that that has ever been like oh i don't see that any company or you know any production has ever found the solution for it i think for years and years people are talking about it you know there's no fix working hours, especially if you are a producer, there's like anyone can just call you anytime, you know, if there's any kind of emergency or anything like that. But it's like you have to uh, like available 24 seven. But what I understand that like, because you are working, you know, in a newspaper and you're also like, you know, producing and you're, you know, doing all these projects. Uh, even now, do you feel there is uh, like work you're doing? Is it is it work life ba balance or is it not? For me, it is, it is, and it's probably the best I've ever had it. Is it? Yeah, it was definitely very hard when I was freelancing in television. Um, I did a thing called First Cut. It was called then, I think it's a slightly different name now. I've just restarted it at Channel 4, which I really recommend. So basically, Channel 4 have a pot of money where they commission sort of directors that have got done quite well, but have never directed their own one hour. And it was actually a 100 grand budget for an hour uh, or half an hour on um, Channel 4 and um, 
I was freelancing and I had a one-year-old baby and a three-year-old baby and it was a big directing opportunity for me and it was great but man it was hard it completely broke me um <laughs> that sounds incredible <laughs> so what's the personality type you know this machine you no, know, that wasn't. I, I was. Just, I was just taking bunny or all that through your toilet. I was, I was be. breastfeeding, to put it bluntly. So I was literally like breastfeeding through the night and then in an edit in the day, and it was intense. But um, I had support of a husband, partner um, who was supportive, and I grew up in London, and I still live in London. I have my parents, so that was my secret weapon. And that is, you know, short out of parents, obviously. Yeah, but that's so rare. You know, maybe you know in other cultures it's more common, but in London, so many of my peers, their parents live on the other side of the country, or they have, you know, it's so hard. It's it's so hard to live near your parents in London. Um, so I I I don't know how I would have done it without that. So, can you give us right now a day in the life? Because I'm curious about your time management, with how, you know, is it discipline? Is it writing every day? Or is it like, you know, is it a day in your life, a, a, pro, a very productive day? Okay. Get out, shout at my children for at least half an hour saying, put your shoes on, put your shoes on, put your shoes on. And then finally they get out of the house, hopefully with shoes on, not always. <laughs> And then I probably run around myself going, right, I've got to get to the FT and look like somebody who works in an office that, you know, rather than someone, you know, in their pyjamas. Um, and then I get to the office and I probably would be at the moment, I'm producing a series about democracy and I'm commissioning writers. So I will be checking in on that, seeing, putting feelers out for who might be interested in writing that, still keeping a bit on the news of what's happening in terms of countries which are experiencing interesting things around democracy or articles around democracy. So at the moment, there was a really great piece in The Economist about AI and how that's going to impact democracy or what's happening in Turkey and where that's going. So that's a really great bit of my day where I might just be sort of consuming information. Um, then I probably am lucky enough to have I don't know, a meeting. There's somebody at the FT who's actually an amazing creative writer, a playwright. She works with the commercial team in the FT and I'm developing an idea with her, um, which is about the sort, it's about a perspective of someone who lives in Belarus and she lived in Belarus. Um, so I might, I'd have to say a meeting with her and then, um, yeah, at the moment I'm in development. So that's the sort of stage I'm at and I'm not filming yet. Um, I'm still hoping another sort of interesting component is to use the film that I made about online harm in more ways. So I have done talks at schools with kids about the film. And I am also looking to like other ways that that film I've already made can carry on and have another life. So that's another important thing to say about filmmaking, right? Is that you make the film and then sometimes it just sort of disappears into the ether and you can't let that happen because you've put your like soul into it for years. And so that's another important component. Where can we see this film? Where could the public have a go? On YouTube, YouTube, mainly, yeah, yeah. And on the FT website, they're all free to view. All my films are free. Uh, the FT is generally behind mm. a paywall, but the films are free. Mm. But then how does you feel in terms of like giving these free content? Because I think nowadays everyone, you know, they were like, how can I make, like the very first thing I think I was like, how, do you think, how can I get, get money from it? 
everyone think about the audience yeah maybe we can sell it to this market this market you know like as a producer this was like the very first thing was taught uh like to any of us you know was like yeah how can you make the business out of it you know how can you make money out of it yeah do you think that or do you think you know what let's just put it aside and just just focus on the on the work on or like on the purpose i think often thinking about the money can help you make the film better because sometimes the kind of commercial drive is compatible with the artistic drive not always but sometimes mm-hmm. if you, you know mm-hmm. you've got to make a film that people want to watch and that's an important lens to have so i i often get frustrated with the idea that the kind of commercial drive and the sort of more pure artistic drive are somehow at odds occasionally sure they can be but i think that's quite i find that a bit again snobby or a bit sort of like people are being a bit pretentious if i can be so rude actually sometimes we can make those two goals come together so when i say like i like the lens of the financial times because I have to make content that's going to appeal to a global audience. I have to make content that's going to be relevant today. I'm going to make content that is informative. Those are great lenses. Um, commercially, I don't have to think because I work in the editorial about how it makes money. However, some of the films I've made have had sponsorship, which means like they've been sponsored sorry, by a foundation. So I made a film about climate change and it was funded by the Wellcome Trust. And the way that works is very careful in editorial because the Wellcome Trust aren't allowed to have any input into the film. They're only allowed to have their name saying supported by, but they're not allowed to influence what's in the film at all. Interesting. But they do support it because it aligns with what, the message they want to get across so the papers can get support for content that requires a really big budget i would say what you're doing is really smart because you found a way no <laughs> exactly so kind of and i think isn't it's not something that's discussed in film school or anything like this like you found a way to kind of not have to worry about the money the financial as well and kind of more focus on the idea and kind of, and get funded I, I i think it's brilliant um i had a question in there somewhere but i think i it kind of slipped my mind but you could it's go. gonna come back yeah yeah, yeah. let me try and find it back yeah yeah uh yeah i just had like one more interesting question for you that in terms of how is life mm. for you right now big question yeah mm. in terms of everything in terms of everything maybe like your kids your professional life how is life for you right now uh that's a good question uh it's it's a great point because i've just moved towards drama so i am at an interesting pivot because i've made documentaries for 20 years on and off and for the last few years i've been mainly making stuff with a script and um narrative and with actors and so for me life is scary because i want to make that really work and for that to be successful um but i'm still learning so the last film i did had sort of five actors um and was filmed over two days and now i'm going to try and you know up that again and have a bigger budget bigger ambition or what's the lens you are thinking for this new film 
Well, I don't have, uh, I'm, I'm, my dream is actually to make the film about online harm into a bigger feature length do- uh, uh, drama. That would be my dream. Mm. Interesting. And what about your personal life? How's, uh, you know, in terms of your family and everyone? Well, I'm in a really great position because my youngest is about to go to secondary school. So okay. I'm transitioning from having two small children to two bigger children. So they will be out of the house basically all day, five days mm. a week. And I think that that's another thing for parents to remember is that actually that window where they're small and you need you around is relatively short. So for me personally, I um, feel like suddenly I'm getting more freedom back. Is it when you get home, you're done with work life? I'm always thinking about it. I think that's one of the things I'm always thinking. And you sort of never stop, you know, the ideas bit doesn't stop, does it? And that's actually the bit I like best. So I don't feel like I switch off. Okay. But I also feel like sometimes I don't switch on. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but does it happen like, you know, like, let's say you have reached home, you're just cooking something for your, uh, you know, children's and yeah. of course you have all these ideas. Okay, yeah. And then suddenly they're like, mom, mom, and you're like, you're just... Yeah, I totally. Mom! Yeah, 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 sorry. (laughs) They literally do that. Sometimes they get so frustrated that I'm zoning out that they start saying really crazy things like, Mom, look, my daughter said the other day, Mom, Arthur's jumped out the window. Arthur jumped out the window. And I went, What? She went, You were looking at your phone. (laughs) They have to say more crazy stuff to to, to get me off my phone because my work is on my phone and that's where all addicted. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot. Yeah, be addicted to something. Yeah. So yeah, I will be moving to the very last question. Mm-hmm. And it is, of course, we have talked about the life, what you've been doing. And what's the one piece of advice you will give to yourself if you were in the same position, let's say, 10 years back? You say, okay. This is what I have learned now, but let's say someone just transport you to 2010 or 2013 or something, right? Mm. And you have all these experiences. What do you think then you're going to do? I say don't feel bad about the weird things that you like or the passions that you have or the variety of things that you're interested in. So I, you know, felt it was almost embarrassing that I liked watching trash TV when I was trying to have intellectual conversations with people. But that was actually really important because I was actually learning how to make content that lots of people want to watch. So I think it's about owning what you're interested in and listening to it. So sometimes if you know, if you're interested in watching cat videos and Oh my God, I'm going to say shit like that. Think, why do I like watching cat videos? Don't dismiss that as some... Fight it. Don't yeah. fight yeah, it. Fine. Lean in and think, what is this thing that makes me happy? Yeah. I like this thing that's cute and makes me feel comforted and makes me laugh. So, like, I'd say my advice is, like, listen to what you're interested in without judgment. Mm. without judgment it's a good a good end <laughs> it's a really good advice yeah. yeah i mean i mean yeah that's how i think we gonna 
stop this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, let's Did you have fun? I hope you had fun. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we could have kept, kept going. Yeah. One more episode with you very soon. Yeah, yeah. Be free. And thank you so much, Yuri. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.